This is my right A right given by God To live a free life To live in freedom Talking about Tonight is the season finale of Freedom. Uh, not, it's not the end of Freedom. We'll still be talking about Freedom, but it's the grand finale of our series on Freedom. And uh, like a grand finale of a TV series, um, the Apostle Paul takes chapter 6 and he uses it to sort of resolve any questions that you might have had during the series. You know how grand finales do that, right? Everyone rushes to watch the grand finale because they want to get the answer to whatever question it was that they had um, through nothing like the TV series Lost, by the way, which answered no questions and and resolved nothing when it was over. Um, Paul is going to resolve it all, I think. He's going to continue to hit um, the same points that he's been hitting, but he's going to drive them home. And, And if the whole series has been about freedom, I would say that Paul's primary concern is to set us free from the law. He wants to set the Galatians free from legalists who are telling them they have to obey the law. But then he moves on, and he also says we've not been just set free from something. We've been set free to something. And the thing that we've been set free to is to love. And only a free person can truly love. Only a free person can truly love without the need for reciprocation. And so if we've been set free from the law but free to love, Paul also tells us that love, incidentally, Fulfills all the law. <laughs> so you've been set free from legalism, set free to law, I mean to love, and then when you love, you actually end up fulfilling the law. And if that's the structure of the whole book, I would say the structure of chapter six looks like this Paul is still gonna pit the law against freedom. And he's gonna say, You want a law? I got a law for you. You want some works? You want something to do? I got something for you to do. <laughs> you like rules? I got your rule, right? And he's going to give it to us. And, and, and here's what he's going to say. In verse 2, he gives us a law, and it's called the law of Christ. He says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We'll talk about that for the first point. The second point comes in chapter 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And so the second point is the doing of good. So the law of Christ, the doing of good, and then in verse 16, he says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And so the law of Christ, the doing of good, and the rule, I'm going to call it the rule of freedom, and you'll see why when we get there, okay? So let's jump into the context of this first one called the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what is this thing that I've never heard before? The law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? If fulfilling the law of Christ is bearing another's burdens, and if burdens is sin, then that would almost make sense, wouldn't it? Because that's what Christ did. He bore our sin, did he not? 
Isaiah 53 said he bore our iniquities. He bore our transgressions. And so if Paul says, bear with one another in their sin, bear each other's sin, then that makes perfect sense. We, we would be fulfilling the law of Christ. So how do you do this? I don't know about you, but I don't want to do this. I mean, did you hear what he said? Listen, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Who wants to do that? I'm the pastor and I don't even want to do that. I don't because I'm scared you'll leave and then we'll, we'll not be growing, we'll be shrinking. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, I don't really want to walk up to someone and say, yeah, I need to talk to you. <laughs> but who, who does this anyway? Or who does it well? Let's just be honest. This is hard. So we need to unpack this a little bit because if we try to do it and we don't understand what it says, we could jack things up, right? How many of you have seen it jacked up? Someone speaking the truth in love. <laughs> right? Well, let me, let's unpack it a little bit. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, first thing I want to say is this. That word caught doesn't mean someone just got busted, okay? It doesn't mean, yeah, caught you, didn't I? I was on your internet and I saw where you went. I caught you. That's not, this is not, this is not what that means. It isn't, I caught you in a sin and now I'm going to tell you about it and get you. Can I just, please, can you hear this? Our job as Christians is not to play Magnum P.I. and catch people in sin, okay? I was just waiting for you to sin so I could tell you about it later. That is not what that word caught means. The word caught literally means stuck or entangled. It means stuck. It means caught. It means caught up in this thing. You're in quicksand and you can't get out. You're, you're drowning in the ocean. Look at them. They're, they're entangled in this sin. If you saw someone in quicksand sinking, would you? Reach out and help them? Of course you would. You wouldn't say, well, I don't want to talk to them about it because they're going to leave my church. I don't want to talk to them about it because they're not going to be my friend anymore. No, if you see someone drowning, you're going to reach out and save them. So Paul says, if you see anyone entangled in sin, then you who are spiritual will reach out and what? Restore him. So I want us to see this. The chief goal here, the end goal, is restoration. It's not confrontation. It's not catching them. It's not, look, I caught you in a sin, and I noticed you treat your wife this way, and I want to talk to you about that. <laughs> That's not what it is. The chief goal is to restore them to a fully restored relationship with Christ. It's, it's, it's like we said last week, preaching the gospel to yourself, but it's kind of preaching the gospel to your friend who you see entangled in sin. It's like, man, I, I love you. You're my bro. You're my brother, and I love you, and I, I'm watching you destroy yourself. And I just want to tell you, God loves you. You know that, right? I mean, even while you're doing this, the Bible says even while you're yet in your sin, he loves you. And that's what restoration is. And again, that's what Jesus did, right? He bore our sins so that he could restore us into a perfect relationship with his father. And so how do you do it? He says you do it with a spirit of gentleness. Um, but even before he said that, he said you who are spiritual. I want to talk about that. When Paul says you who are spiritual should restore, he's not talking about the super spiritual guy in your church, you know, the varsity team in your church. Um, I know there are churches that have varsity Christians, <laughs> or at least they think they're varsity Christians. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not talking, uh-huh, if you're one of the spiritual ones in your church, you should be the one who gets to play Mr. Truth pillar and go and, 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 and stop everyone from, you know, not being in the truth. It's not, it, Paul would never talk like that, although I've heard men today talk like that. 
What he's really talking about is you who are walking in the Spirit. So the past two weeks, we've talked about walking in the flesh. And what happens if you walk in the flesh? You will produce envy, jealousy, dissension, um, all kinds of bad acts of the flesh. But if you walk in the Spirit, you'll produce fruit of the Spirit, which is patience, kindness, mercy, and gentleness. Gentleness is what he says. Do it in a spirit of gentleness. So think about this. Let's say you do see someone drowning in their sin. If you're operating out of your flesh, it's because you're proud. You want to point that out. Look, I noticed you were drowning. I'm going to dive in and save you, but then I'm going to tell you how bad of a swimmer you are. You know what I mean? Or how good of a swimmer I am. Look at me. And, and, and that is all selfish, prideful, maybe even a bit envious. And if you do it out of the flesh, what happens? Bad relationships, dissension, envy, jealousy, strife, all that stuff. But if you do it out of the spirit, oh, man, my brother is sinking. And I'm afraid for his soul. I'm afraid for his life. I'm afraid for his family. If you're following after the spirit and gentleness, what will you produce? You'll produce love, patience, gentleness, kindness, all of those things. And so that's what Paul means when he says, you who are spiritual. He's saying, you who are being led by the Spirit. Some of us in this room might be right now led by the Spirit to help a brother who's sinking. Would you let him sink? Or would you follow after the Spirit and do the hard thing? Some of you might be thinking in your heart, I sure would like to tell him a thing or two. But that's by your flesh. And when you do, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to leave, and it's going to be ugly. So how do you do it with the spirit of gentleness? How do you be gentle? Well, here's here's a secret part of it, I think. The next verse says, keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted also. I think the primary, probably even the only way to really ensure that you're gentle is to always be humble and remember, I am just as acceptable to that sin as he is. That guy is sinning, and that sin is destroying his family, destroying his life. And if it wasn't by the grace of God, it would be me. It would be me. St. Augustine, very ancient writer, said, There is no sin which one person has committed that another person may not commit also. We are all on slippery slopes, are we not? You may be having a good week, but how quickly can it turn? So you have to recognize that I'm a sinner. That guy sinned like that yesterday, but I may sin like that tomorrow. And yet, what does that look like when you go to your brother like that? Okay, listen. I see this in your life. I I don't want to have this conversation. I really don't. But I feel like like you're drowning, man. And I don't blame you. I mean, I would totally do the same thing. I mean, I've done, I mean, I'm not perfect. I mean, if you knew about me what God knows about me, you wouldn't listen to me. Is there something I can do to help you? Is there, is there some way that I can bear this burden alongside you? That, doesn't that sound like a spirit of gentleness rather than I've noticed this and this is what the Bible therefore doth say and you are not doing it? <laughs> it's, it's much easier to Facebook it, right? The Bible says do not and I know someone who did. <laughs> Galatians 6, verse 2 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Don't you forget, you are just as much a sinner. You are just as much acceptable to following after the flesh as to the spirit, as to this guy. But let each one test his own work. Test yourself. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Okay, so I don't know if you've followed what Paul just said, but it sounded like he really contradicted himself, doesn't it? 
The first thing he says is we bear each other's burdens, and that's the law of Christ. And we know that scripturally we never boast in ourselves. <laughs> so why is Paul now saying, you know, do your own work so that way you can boast in yourself and not in your neighbor, for each of us have his own load to bear? I thought you just said we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. Why Now we have our own load. Which one is it, Paul? Well, it might be easier to understand if you know this, that the word burden, which is the law of Christ, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, that Greek word burden is different than the word each of us have our own load. Different Greek word. The, the Greek word for burden literally means a heavy weight, the kind of weight that is burdensome. <laughs> you need someone to help you carry that. But the Greek word for load literally means a kind of a backpack. It's kind of something that we all have to, everyone has to carry. That's what Paul says. Everyone has their own load. So what he's saying here is that we all have our own load. You all have responsibilities. You all have gifts, possibilities, things that you have to suffer through. Maybe your load is that God's calling you to bear another brother's burdens. That's a load, is it not? I don't want to do that, but that's your load. You have to bear it. But a burden is something completely different. What is a burden? A burden is something really heavy. And so in order to bear another person's burden, while you're bearing bearing your load, what does that look like? Well, let's listen to what Timothy Keller says. He says, these burdens, even though in the context we are talking about sin, but then Paul, when he uses this burden, it means it could mean anything. It really could. He's very vague. What is a burden? Well, it could be um, something as simple as the responsibility like raising a child or even renovating a living space. How many of you raise children? Sometimes it's a joy, right? Sometimes it's a burden, How many of you have renovated your living space? Sometimes it's a joy. Sometimes it's an overwhelming burden. And when those burdens happen, even though it's your living space and even though it's your children, doesn't it sometimes get into your spirit and your soul and drive you insane and you start to kind of produce works of the flesh, throwing the hammer, maybe, things like that. I've done it. They can be a difficulty, a problem that you cannot help with a burden unless you come, listen to this, very close to the burdened person, standing virtually in their shoes and putting your own strength under the burden so its weight is distributed on both of you, lightening the load of the other. So what does that look like? Let's say there's a guy with a burden. He's struggling. I see him struggling. I come up in a spirit of gentleness and say, I could easily struggle with this. Hey, brother, can I help you? Sure. Please hurry. <laughs> I'm going to get up underneath that burden, and I'm going to be really close to this brother, right? I'm going to be able to smell his breath, smell his odor. And maybe even I might even get a little closer so that most of the weight of the burden is on me because he needs a break, right? That's how close we get. Keller says you're almost even in his shoes. That's what it looks like to bear another burden. Paul says when you do that, you thus fulfill the law of Christ, Can I just say that that is why community is such a central mission for us here at Missio Day. It's the center point. It's Christ, community, culture, because both our relationship with Christ and our relationship with the culture and the world is dependent upon the kind of community that we have. And we need to be close enough with one another that we can smell each other's breath and we can carry the load. You cannot carry someone's load unless you're close. More to that, you can't even see that they need a load unless you're close because people don't walk in the door telling you about their load. They walk in the doors praising Jesus, eating cookies, and then get in the car and start yelling at the kids again. You know what I mean? That's what normally happens. So you have to be in a close community with them before you can even see that there's a burden there, right? 
And you have to be in a close enough community with them that you can call them brother. I mean, brother, man, I want to hold your hand through this. Let me. Because by the grace of God, there goes I. I might need you to hold my hand next month. That's what a community is. And I'm, happy, I'm so very happy to say that this week I've met with several of you and I've asked you, what's the one thing that you're most thankful about when it comes to Missio Day? And every single one of you without a heartbeat said the community. We have intimate community. I, I love my community group. My community group loves me. I feel arms around me. We have two community groups. I'm also happy to say that Jillian and HJ are starting a new one in St. Charles very soon, like maybe next week, I'm thinking, or two weeks maybe. Soon. After Easter. Okay, yeah. Awesome. I love it. I'm very excited about it. The first point is fulfill the law of Christ. You want a law? I've got a law. Bear each other's burdens. That's what your law. Second one is you want something to do? I'll give you something to do. Here it is. As you have opportunity, do good everyone. Let's look at the context. It's verses 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches the word. (laughs) This verse is an interesting verse, isn't it? I mean, I could pause here and preach. And then it would look like I was being (laughs) self-promoting. Let the one who is taught the word give good things to the one who teaches the word. Well, I'm teaching you the word. Give me some of them cookies, you know what I mean? When I was in college, I had a roommate, and we would, for entertainment purposes, watch this e- e- evangelist, televangelist on TV. I never heard him preach, to tell you the truth. But we knew what time he came on, and we'd always watch him to laugh. And he would, after he was done preaching, sit on this, like, throne of a chair. And he'd sit there with the camera on his face, and he would quote this verse. Now, I just taught you the word. You need to ask yourself, what's that worth to you? Because the scripture doth say, give to the pe- preacher what is good, which means money. So call that number on the bottom of your screen and send me some money. And then he would literally sit there in that chair for like two hours and say, why ain't the phones ringing? You don't, you know, he'd quote another verse. And there's a lot of verses actually like this in the Bible. He'd quote them all. And I would laugh, you know, ashamedly, you know, like with your hand over your mouth. <gasps> like when you're watching a really crude comedian, you know you're not supposed to laugh, but it is funny, but it's so wrong. You know what I mean? That's what it was. Like, oh, just that. <laughs> And the unfortunate thing is we live in America, and I'm just going to preach for a little bit if you don't mind, Jim. In, in America, we have exported the worst kind of heresy in the world. It's just as bad as legalism. I would even say not as, not as worse, not, not worse as legalism, it really isn't. It is legalism with a different spin. It is called the prosperity gospel. And it says, if you try harder, do better, and be gooder, God will bless you financially. It's a lie. It's the same lie. If you do good or try harder, be better, God will give you righteousness and salvation. No, no, no. Even we're not we're not legalistic. <laughs> we're saying if you do good or try harder, be better, God will give you money. <laughs> Both of them are, are are liars. It's evil. Evil. And it's, what's worse is that us American evangelicalists, whatever we are, I don't know who these people are. Are, are exporting that to all the third world countries in the world. And so now you've got poor people giving these guys golden rings, and oh, man, it burns me up inside. It burns me up. And the other thing that that does, unfortunately, is it puts me in a situation when this verse comes here. I'm like, eh, skip it. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> but that verse actually means something, doesn't it? It does. And there are a lot of verses like this, and they mean something, and we do need to understand what it means so that we can understand why that guy is really a heretic. You see, that guy thinks it's all about money. 
I think it's all about something else. I think it's all about community. Because, because of this word here, share. Did you see it? That the one who has taught the word share. And that word in Greek is my favorite word. Can I just tell you that? It's the word koinonia. And koinonia means sharing. <laughs> but it, it's a very intimate kind of sharing. In fact, the word koinonia is used throughout the New Testament. And it's sometimes translated sharing. It's sometimes translated fellowshipping. And it's sometimes translated communion. We see it, for instance, in Philippians 3.10, where Paul says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and becoming like him in his death. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to koinonia in his sufferings. He says it again in, in Colossians where he says, I want to fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. It's the word koinonia. He wants to fellowship with Christ in such a way that he is walking with Jesus and feeling his afflictions. It's the same word used, by the way, in Corinthians when Paul talks about the cup and the loaf. He says we commune, we have fellowship with Christ when we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup. We have koinonia with Jesus, and incidentally, because we are a body of Christ, we gather one body, one loaf, one cup. We are in communion with one another. So that word koinonia is a huge word. And so Paul's saying, in your community, this missional community that we have when we're bearing each other's burdens, there are, each of us have something good to bring. We all do. And, and there are those who bring the teaching, and you should share what you have with him or her. And there are those who are good at other things, and you should share. So it's not about give me your money. Don't muzzle the ox. You know what I mean? It is sharing in an intimate community. That guy sitting on his throne can't have this because he doesn't have community. He's just waiting for the phone to ring and someone send him a check. That's not community. That's not sharing well, I'll get off this soapbox because I don't want you to think the church is all about money. I hear that a lot, especially when I'm out in the culture. I tell them about church. Why don't you go to church? They'll say, because it's all about money. So glad it's not Easter and I'm not preaching this sermon, you know. It's all about money. It's not about money. It's really all about community. <laughs> it really is. You've got to be in an authentic, uncommon kind of community, and then you'll understand what this verse means. I, th I thought I'd read Martin Luther's commentary. Because I thought, he might have something to say about this verse that would be different than most modern commentaries because modern commentaries are dealing with prosperity, you know. And maybe, what does Martin Luther say about it? And I was comforted to know that he feels the same way I feel about it. Listen to what he says. He says, I've often wondered why all the apostles reiterated this request with such embarrassing frequency. It's in almost every letter. Why are the apostles always saying, pay us? <laughs> That's what, that's what Luther's saying. It, I often wonder why they repeat it so much. It's like with embarrassing amount of frequency. And that's what we feel in this culture, right? Why do churches always talk about money? But then Luther said this, and, and, I, and I'm convicted by this. As often as I read the admonitions of the apostle to the effect that the churches should support their pastors and raise funds for the relief of the impoverished Christians, support their missionaries like Emily who's going to France, I'm half ashamed to think that the great Apostle Paul had to touch upon the subject so frequently. It's a different way of looking at it, isn't it? Why are they always talking about it? Well, why do they always have to talk about it? Well, if they're prosperity gospel, because that's what they always have to talk about. But if they're really trying to send Emily to, to, to France, if they're really trying to plant more churches, it is embarrassing that they're talking about it so much. You know what I'm saying? It is. That's a different spin on it. Let's move on past that, though, and keep going um, in this the context here. Let the one... Who has taught the word, share good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
And again, Paul's using botany. He did that last week in chapter 5. He's saying, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Whatever seed you plant, that's the kind of fruit you're going to harvest. For the one who plants in his own flesh will from his own flesh harvest corruption. But the one who plants to the Spirit will from the Spirit harvest eternal life. And listen to this. This is the key verse. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap or harvest if we do not give up. So he's giving us a, a, a rule here, and the a work here to do, and the thing to do is to do good. Do not grow weary of doing good. As I was reading this and, and trying to write what I was going to say about it, I asked myself, why, why would he have to say that? <laughs> do not grow weary of doing good. I'll tell you why he says it. Can I just be honest? Because I'm weary. I am. I get very weary. Uh, I get weary of doing good. Sometimes you give and you give and you give, and they just take, take, take. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you, you pour your heart out, your soul, and it doesn't take long for them to stab you in the back. It's true. Sometimes you, you get close, and you, and, you become, and you start to like them, and then they just leave. Do you know what I'm saying? I grow weary. There's this guy in my oikos that I've been ministering to. Um, I invited him to lunch, invited him to dinner, invited him to golf, invited him to Buffalo Wild Wings, invited him to bowling, invited him to men's night out. Every time he says yes until an hour before, and it's some excuse. My kids are sick. My kids look like they're sick. My kids smell like they're sick. I think my favorite television show's on tonight. I'm at work. My tire is a flat. It's like, come on. And then you know what I think? I give up. And it gets tiring. It gets weary, does it not? And then Paul says, but don't grow weary of doing good. You just keep doing good and keep doing good and keep doing good. Because why? In the due season, you will reap a harvest. You will reap a fruit. There will be, there will be blessings. Again, this is, I think, all about community. It really is about community because in community, you love people right? You have to be, you're sitting at the table, you're talking about your marriage. You're sitting at the table, you're talking about, my kid has ADHD and I don't want this to be true. You know what I mean? And then as we get older, bigger problems are going to arise, right? And you're an intimate community. And what happens when you're in an intimate community? Uncommon community, authentic community. Can I just be honest with you? People wary you. The more you get to know someone, is it true? The more you like them, but then also the more you don't, right? It's like, I liked you so much when I only knew you this much. (laughs) Now I'm kind of sick of you. I liked following you on Facebook for the first three days. Now I'm sick of you, (laughs) right? It's true, is it not? But if you're an intimate, authentic, uncommon community, Paul says, never weary of doing good. Don't give up. Keep doing it because if you keep getting closer and closer in this community, you will one day reap. I think a beautiful thing. And I know every single one of us in this room wants that thing. But the question is, is are we willing to not give up, to show up, to be there, even when it's boring, even when it's tough, even when it's hurting? Because here's the deal. If you've truly been set free, then you have freedom to love without needing reciprocation. You have freedom to give without needing them to give back. You have freedom to, to, to spill your soul out and let them stick you in the back. 
Because you say, the man who saved me set me free, and they stuck him all over the place, spit on him. And he said, Father, forgive them. I don't even know what they're doing. So I want to have a discussion question because as excited I am about our missional communities, there are still some aspects in it that we're not quite there yet. It's really kind of like a honeymoon. We're kind of in the honeymoon phase right now. We all like each other, and we, we like getting together. It's good. We have a great community. Um, some of us are missing it, and I encourage you to get in it because um, it's good. And You guys are starting it, and I promise you're going to love it. But we're not quite there yet because, like a marriage, it takes seasoning and marinating, and it takes a long time. So here's a discussion question. What are some hindrances to enjoying this kind of community? And I've, and I've given you two hints. The first one is bearing each other's burdens, and the second one is, is growing weary of doing good. Okay? So what are some hindrances of enjoying this kind of community? Let's finish. The last point is so fast, you'll be happy to know. The first point is the law of Christ. You want a law? Your law is the law of Christ. You want to do something? Do good. Finally, verse 16 says, and ask for all who walk by this rule. So you want rules? I'll give you a rule. Here's the rule. Let's look at the context. See what large letters, Paul says in verse 11, I'm writing to you with my own hand. He starts talking about circumcision there. I just kind of bounced over that because we've heard it enough in this book. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, but by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So I'm not going to boast in anything but the cross. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. For all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy would be upon them. So Paul says, again, this, he's signing off. After this verse, he says, goodbye. Apostle Paul, P.S., I love you. You know what I mean? Whatever. And it's over. You can look in your Bible. It's over. So the very last thing he says is, do, do not forget, circumcision, uncircumcision, obedience after the law, not obedience after the law, wearing blue jeans, not wearing blue jeans, listening to Christian music, listening to country music, it doesn't matter. It counts for nothing, okay? The only thing that counts, Paul says, is the new creation. So what does that mean? It means it doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. It matters who you are. Are you a new creation? Are you the kind of creation that's been set free? I think this is beautiful the way Paul ends. Paul ends by saying it's the rule of freedom or the rule of the new creation. Are you a free man? What do I mean by that? I mean, are you still enslaved to the law? Are you trying harder to do better and be gooder? Are you dotting your I's and crossing your T's? Then you're not free. You're enslaved. Are you still enslaved to sin? Are you wrestling with addictions? Then you're not free. You're still enslaved to sin. Are you free? Now you can love you can give. You don't have to try hard anymore. You don't have to climb anymore. You don't have to please people. You don't have to worry about what people think. All you have to do is love God and love others. Are you free? And if you're free, Paul says, you walk by that rule, the rule of freedom. Don't try harder, do better, be gooder. Just be free. Don't play the game. Don't be enslaved to the old man. Be a new creation, a free man, and you'll be free. And then what will happen, and listen, I, I just love this book. He says, if you walk by that rule, my brothers and sisters, if you can be free created people, free men, free women, if you walk by that rule, here's what he says, peace and mercy be upon you. Grace and peace. You might remember 
That was the very first verse of the book. Do you remember that? Galatians 1.1, grace and peace to you. And we spent the whole day on that. Why does Paul always open every letter with grace and peace? Well, in Galatians, he opens with grace and peace, and he closes with um, peace and grace. <laughs> Flips them. It's beautiful because, as I mentioned in the beginning, and Paul's ending it this way, he's saying if you're free, then you have peace. Isn't that true? I mean, if you're enslaved to something, there's no peace. And what gives you peace? The only thing that gives you peace is grace, God's grace. And so if God has given you grace and your sins have been forgiven and you're a new creation, then you've been set free. And with that freedom, you have ultimate peace. Not just peace between you and God because you've been reconciled, but peace with everyone, peace with yourself. When, when, when we talked about this verse in the beginning of this series, I quoted Martin Luther. I just want to quote him again. He says, sin and our conscience torment us, but Christ has overcome these fiends now and forever. These two terms, grace and peace, they constitute Christianity. They're the bottom line of the gospel. Grace involves the remission of sins and peace, a happy conscience. Sin is not canceled by lawful living. For no person is able to live up to the law. The law reveals only guilt, and it fills the conscience with terror and drives men to despair. Nothing can take away sin except the grace of God. And then once it's taken away, our experience is peace. Amen? So to sign off this series on freedom, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. Amen?